Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How we doing? We good? That was all right. That was all right. Hey, we're glad that you're here today. We're thankful that you're here. You heard Pastor Trevor and uh, Pastor Casey talking about it just a minute ago, but uh, we, we had a team come back yesterday from Guatemala, so it's been a great week as we got updates. Hopefully, you've liked our Facebook page, uh, Canton Church GA on Facebook, so that you could kind of keep up with them. If not, you can go and do that now uh, just to kind of follow along with what's happening here around Canton Church, but all week long, they would post update videos and uh, pictures and things from their trip, but a team of 15 went and just served at Casa Shalom Orphanage, which is one of our ministry partners, missions partners, there in Guatemala and serving uh, about 100 kids or so that are there in the orphanage. Even while they were there, there were uh, three siblings that were brought to the orphanage, and uh, they were able just to care for them as they were kind of getting acclimated there. They left one day and went to a remote village up in the mountains, about an hour away up into the mountains, and served about 200 kids or so, the only hot meal that they'll get all week. And so the pictures of these children kind of saving a portion of the food off their plate and putting it in baggies to take back home so that they could give their parents or siblings some of the food that they had received. Just incredibly touching and really brings into perspective some of the things that we have going on around us here. And so uh, I'm thankful for what God did through our team that was there. They took a little bit of Canton Church with them as they went. And so if you gave to help one of these team members go or you prayed for them while they were gone, we're just to say thank you for that. You helped to kind of provide an extension of our ministry uh, in Guatemala during this week, and, uh, and so I'm thankful for that. I can't wait to hear all the stories that, uh, that God kind of worked out while they were there, even those that we're not aware of yet. You know, if you've been around for any length of time here at Canton Church, you've heard me say this phrase uh, a few times probably, maybe more than that, but it really is an exciting time at our church. It's an exciting time because of what God is doing, what God has been doing uh, over this last few months, and really even through the summer as we've spent some time in Romans and some of the camps and things that our kids have participated in, other events, some of the things our life groups are doing even during the summer months that have chosen to stay together. But I'm really excited about what God's doing and, and really where we've been during this Romans series all summer long. It's kind of given us handles on some theological terms and phrases so we can kind of pick those things up and take them with us uh, as we kind of live our lives in relationship with Jesus Christ and searching for truth and searching him out. So I'm thankful for that. And then you heard it just a second ago, but let me hit it one more time, that in two weeks we start a brand new series. It's crazy to me that next week is the end of our Roman series. When we first started it, I felt like it was going to last forever. And some of you may be like, it has. It's really lasted forever. But I've enjoyed this series, um, and, and so I'm thankful for that. But next week we conclude this series, and then two weeks from now we start a brand new series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And I know for some of you, you think, well, that doesn't apply to me. My kids are older now. They're out of the house. Or I'm not even married. Or I am married, but we don't have kids or, or whatever. I'm telling you, I promise you, that the contents of this series and where I believe the Lord's going to take us over these five weeks, it applies to everybody in our church. And so if you're single, if you're married, if you've got kids at home, you don't have kids at home, you're a grandparent, wherever you're at, I believe that the truths of this, scripture, of this series are going to apply to right where you're at. And here's what I'm going to ask of you, okay? And I've never made this ask, so perk up and hear this, all right? I, I'm asking something of you. I'm asking you, if you can at all help it, that you be at all five weeks of this series. It starts July 28th, and it runs the four Sundays in August. And I'm asking you to commit to be here all five weeks and to be here as a family if you can help it. If you've got your family lives under one roof, I'm asking you to get your family here. If they're extended but they're in the air, try to get them here for this series. I believe it's that important. 
And I know maybe you paid a deposit for a vacation home somewhere. Try to get it back, all right? Uh, if you can't do it, that's fine. If you're in the hospital, I need a doctor's note is what I'm saying. Because I want you here for these five weeks. We're going to do some fun things to the series. Uh, each of the Sundays, we'll have some things we're adding to. And you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But I'm telling you, I believe in what this series is going to be about and how it's going to impact our church. And so I'm asking you to be here. But today, we are in the, fi- the, the second to last week at the conclusion of our Roman series here. We've been looking at two chapters a week. And so today, we're going to look at chapters 13 and 14. If you've been tracking along in your Romans journal, you know we've just got the one uh, more week to kind of get us into chapters 15 and 16 as far as the, the devotionals and things that come in the next couple of weeks here. Next Sunday, 15 and, and 16, we'll conclude our series. And today, we're going to do what we've been doing. We're going to look at these two chapters, but we've tried not to preach both chapters each week. And we just kind of read through the chapters and really looked for what are the specific things that we think stand out to us that we want to present uh, here at, at, at Canton Church. And so for me today, I'm not even really dealing with chapter 13, if I'm being honest. It's some good stuff. Like I could preach chapter 13, it'd be a good sermon. Uh, somebody else could preach it better than me. But here's kind of what some, the summary of chapter 13. The first part talks about you need to submit to the governing authorities of your life. And I could preach a good sermon as we talk about it. it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's in Congress or who's in local leadership and government. It doesn't matter if you like your boss or you don't. Like you should submit to the governing authorities of your life because that speaks to your heart that is beating for and following after God. And the submission that you exhibit to those that are over you actually speaks to the submission you have to God. And that would be challenging and we go, ooh, that's, you know, that's good preaching, but man, that hurts a little bit, but I'm not going there. Then, later in chapter 13, the Apostle Paul writes, and he talks about how love is the fulfillment of the law. And he talks about, hey, we've made it about the law and the laws of the Old Testament, but really the fulfillment of the law is love. And man, I could preach a good sermon there on love, 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 love. All we need is love. I mean, I could really do that upright, but I'm not going to do that today. Then he talks about, at the end of chapter 13, he talks about preparing yourself for the day of the Lord. And make sure you're right, right? you got to get right or you're going to get left. I mean, that's, I could do that. I could preach that. Some of you didn't get that. Just Google that. There's a bunch of good church signs for that. You know, be the person your dog thinks you are or whatever. Like, I could really help us to get ready for the day of the Lord, but I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm going to spend our time today in chapter 14. And, and where we want to spend our time begins in the very first verse of chapter 14. This is what it says. It says, except the one whose faith... Is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now, as you read through that, you go, What in the world are we talking about today? Well, Pastor Casey kind of let the cat out of the bag. If I had a title today, it would be I Love You Enough to Become a Vegetarian. Or another working title I've been working with this week is I Love You More Than Steak, okay? I was going to call it I Love You More Than Mexican Food, but I don't really know you that well, okay? So you might be thinking, well, what in the world are we talking about with vegetables? And st- I don't understand where we're going with this. Well, you have to understand the context here. Remember that Romans is a book. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to this, this Christian people, Jews and Gentiles, in Rome in anticipation that he's going to come visit them one day. So he's not visited them yet. So he's writing some things to them. And in that day and time, one of the great debates in the church is what you could eat. Now, sometimes he would be talking literally about their food and their diet, and other times he would be using food as a metaphor to talk figuratively about how they accepted one another, and both the Jews and the Gentiles could get along no matter what they chose to eat. 
And so throughout the, the, the beginning portions of the early church here in the first century, and, and we see it in the book of Acts, and we see it in some of the letters that we see written in the New Testament, they address dietary customs because in the Old Testament, so much of the law was about how to remain clean. And one of those ways to remain clean and to remain pure was to really pay attention to what you put in your body. When you would read through the law of the Old Testament, and if you're looking for some good nighttime reading, you got insomnia, go read the law in Leviticus, all right? And just read about some of these dietary things that you should eat and you shouldn't eat, and the certain colors of animals you can eat, and the certain, you know, hooves of animals, and those are the things you can't eat. And the, like, you just start reading these things, and you're like, whoa, my diet is way out of whack. And then what happens is Jesus comes in the New Testament, he says, hey, I'm the fulfillment of all the law. And people are like, What? How, how are you, a human being, flesh and blood, how are you the fulfillment of the dietary laws of the old? How is loving you replacing the fact that we can now eat bacon? Like, I don't understand how that works. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And he begins to use food illustrations and metaphors to say, like, if you come to me, you'll never want for anything. You'll never thirst again. Like, just consume me, take me, and you don't have to pay attention to all these other things because it's not how you get or maintain cleanness or purity any longer. You do that through faith in me. And so what we read as we go into the New Testament is we read what we've been reading in Romans is that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. And so we have all these different things. And so Paul here is addressing this idea that if you are in relationship with someone and food is the thing that kind of getting you to kind of hang up in your relationship, just let that argument go. It's not important for you to fight over these things. There's no reason for you to quarrel over them. In the book of Acts, what we see is that we see that now the gospel is available to the Gentiles, these non-Jewish people. But that's a challenge for all of the apostles. You know why? Because they're all Jews. And so these Jewish apostles, these disciples that have been following after Jesus, who have been raised to understand the law, to memorize the law, to quote the law, and even use the law to understand how they are saved, how they are found in right standing with God. They've walked with Jesus. They understand who Jesus is and what Jesus claimed to be. And then the day of Pentecost happens, the power of God falls on them, and now they are called to go and preach. And that starts with the Jews in Jerusalem at the time of the festival on the day of Pentecost. And then they are confronted with, oh my goodness, the gospel is actually for everyone but that's hard for me to accept and I don't really know how to do this. And you come to Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 10, the apostle, the disciple Peter, the same guy that walked on the water, the same guy that denied Jesus three times, he's standing on the top of a roof and he sees a vision. He sees a vision from God and as a part of that vision, there's this sheet, like a bed sheet that comes falling from the sky and when it lands on the roof in his vision, he sees that sitting there on the sheet are these animals and these different kinds of animals and hooved animals and different animals that are clean and unclean. And he says, hey, I can't eat any of this because this will make me unclean. And God, in the vision, says to Peter, how dare you call something unclean that I have called clean? And this Jewish man who knew the law, who was now confronted with this reality and this truth of who God was, and he's like, what? are we talking about food here, God? And God's like, no, we're not talking about food. We're talking about the fact that I want you to go to a man's house by the name of Cornelius because the gospel is now available to him and his entire household. And Peter has to go, oh, so you mean those people over there are not unclean too. That's the message of the gospel, that all can be saved. And so even though there's a food metaphor, there's an illustration that's related to food, it goes, okay, maybe this is about a larger truth. 
And Peter was confronted that he had to think some new thoughts about people that perhaps he had had some other thoughts in the past. There's some people in my life like that. As I think about certain groups of people and certain people that I've met, I am sure, like I'm confident, right, in my religiosity and in my flesh and in my judgmentalism when I look at them. I just know for sure God can't save those people. It's impossible. They're too far gone. They're too mean. They're Alabama fans. I don't know. Like, there's just something about them that obviously God is tormenting them. Like, they're, they're just too far gone. And I'm convinced. But here's, here's something that happened a couple weeks ago. Pastor Matt was up here preaching. He was preaching from Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10. And at the very beginning of Romans chapter 9, in those first few verses, he read the passage where Paul says, I am grieved, I am afflicted in my soul by the idea that my brothers and sisters, these other Jews, are not in relationship with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And he says this, and as you read through the scripture there in the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 9, Pastor Matt paraphrased and, and summarized it by saying this, I would rather, Paul, I would rather go to hell than to allow my brothers and sisters to spend eternity away from God. Whatever I have to do, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to put myself on the line and be made uncomfortable if it means that they would come to find life in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm so grieved and afflicted. And as I sat there that Sunday morning and I was listening, I was taking notes in my journal. If you pulled my moment's journal out right now, there's some lines in there that said, how grieved am I about lost people? How conflicted and grieved am I about the people that I know who are not in relationship with Jesus Christ? Or am I okay being comfortable as long as I'm not inconvenienced, God's just got to kind of go meet them somewhere. And they've got to figure it out. And they've got to respond to the gospel. But I'm not going to be made uncomfortable. Paul's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I am so torn up about the fact that there are people I know who would spend eternity away from God that I'm willing to do whatever it takes for them to find Jesus Christ. And as I sat right there in that seat on that Sunday morning, I said, God, please break my heart the people that break your heart. God, help me not to lose sight of the things that you see. God, who is not in relationship with you, but they're in my life. God, help me. Does he? Peter had to confront some heart issues as he thought about these Gentiles being exposed to the gospel. and the, Perhaps they would respond to the gospel and they could be saved. Oh my goodness. What a crazy thought to this Jewish man. And there are some people that it's a crazy thought that I would think that they could be saved. But that speaks more about my heart than it does theirs. And it speaks more about my heart than it does the heart of God. And as I thought about that two weeks ago, and I thought about it all week in light of what we're reading in Romans chapter 14, I've been asking myself this question. Am I making it more difficult for people to be saved than God is? Am, am I making it harder for people to be saved than God does? I think there are times in my life that I actually put parameters on people's salvation that God himself hasn't even put on them. I say, no, no, you, here's, here's the deal. Like, yeah, God wants you to be saved. But first, there's some stuff you got to do. And there's some stuff you got to work out. And there's some stuff you got to fix in you. And there's some stuff you got. And that's not what God says at all. What we read last week. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord 
and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's it. That's it. And so I'm confronted with this question. Am I making it harder for people to be saved than God does? And I'm grieved. And I'm afflicted. And I'm consumed with this thought that maybe I've missed the point. The first week of this series as we talked about Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. I said this. There is a judge and there's a coming judgment. But lucky for you, I'm not the judge and I don't get to administer the judgment. Well, guess what? You're not the judge either and you don't get to administer the judgment, but he does. And he does so in this incredible balance of grace and truth. He does so that when the judgment comes and they've been extended grace to that point and then he brings the justice and the holiness and the righteousness that is required of him by his nature. And we want to administer judgment today and God is saying, no, I'm being patient for grace patient for mercy, patient, patient so that salvation can come because I want that no one should perish. There is a judge. There is judgment coming. So if I'm not the judge and judgment is not mine, what is my responsibility? Like what is it that I'm called to do? If it's not to judge and it's not to be judgment, what is my responsibility? Let's keep reading in verse 13 of Romans chapter 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Make sure not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. It's not just about judging others. It's actually about judging me in light of others. Is the way that I'm living making it more difficult for people to find Jesus Christ? Is the way that I talk to people, the way that I conduct myself, the way that I live my life in front of my friends, in front of my family, in front of my coworkers, am I putting a stumbling block or an obstacle in their way as they try to get closer to Jesus Christ? Am I doing that? So I'm not judging them. I'm actually judging me in light of them. What might I be doing that is causing them to stumble, causing them to find an obstacle as they try to pursue God? It's not, a, it's not because I can't do something. It might be because they need me not to do something as they pursue Christ. Look at this, continuing in verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. As I was reading verse 15, I was, again, kind of drawn to these words. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Replace the word eating there with any other activity you do in life. Do not let, by your eating, destroy anyone for whom Christ died. Do not let, by your speaking, destroy anyone for whom Christ died. Do not let your conduct on your job destroy anyone for whom Christ died. Do not let your marriage, do not let your parenting, do not let your financial management. Do not let your social media activity destroy anyone for whom Christ 
died. When, when I start replacing the word eating there with all these other activities, I'm going, oh my goodness. What is it that God is saying to me? I think he's saying to me, Jeremy, you are not an island unto yourself. You are a part of a community of people, a dynamic body of people that what you do matters to others. So I'm not called to compromise myself, but I am called to be sensitive to those around me as I live my life so that when they see me, they see Christ and I'm not putting extra stumbling blocks or obstacles in their way as they pursue after him. We don't knowingly take on something or do something that would intentionally hurt somebody else. We don't intentionally do that. So if I know that you're a vegetarian and I come to your house and you say, hey, what do you want for dinner? I'm not going to be like filet, right? And if you could make it as juicy as possible. I went on a trip a couple weeks ago with a, a, a pastor friend of mine. We went to, uh, on this trip and he... In spite of this, we're still friends, but he's a vegan. I don't even, I don't even really know what that entails, other than he said, I'm going to take you to this 100% vegan restaurant. I was like, awesome. I mean, I'm sure I'll find something to eat. No. I looked at the menu. I got to be honest. I only knew like a third of the words. I wasn't even, I was like, is there a burger on here anywhere? I got a meal, I kid you not, called a compost plate. Exactly. Exactly. No, he. So I didn't say on this trip, hey, listen, you eat what you want to, but can we swing through Burger King on the way to the vegan restaurant, please? No, he was the host of the trip, and so I was going with him, and so what did I do? I just, I accommodated the other person. I think what's missing in some of our marriages is that willingness to compromise a little bit of what we want for the sake of what they want. We just, we say, nope. This is my position, that's your position, and I'll fight you to the death for it. And I'm not talking about issues that are worth fighting for the death of it. We just, we're not willing to give in. We're not willing to, to think about the other person and their perspective. And so what we say is, okay, if that's the case, like I, I'm not going to intentionally, knowingly do something that I know brings harm to you. I'm a part of a dynamic community. What we teach our children is that you can't be selfish you can't get your way all the time. And then something happens and we turn into adults and we assume we get our way all the time because we can drive. And if we don't like what everybody's doing, we'll just drive and do whatever we want to do. Anybody have that family member, that, like when it comes time for dinner on vacation or at holidays that they leave to go get their own thing? It's like, oh, we're having turkey for Thanksgiving this year. That's neat. I'm going to go pick up some Thai food. Nobody else, just my family. Okay, that's awesome. No, because what we're saying is like, I just want my way. I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to get what I want. But what we're called to do when it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to matters of salvation, when it comes to matters of people following after God, we recognize that we have an obligation to others. We're not called to compromise our faith, compromise our salvation, compromise ourselves in that way, but we are sensitive and we accommodate the needs of others. I was thinking about the story in Joshua 
where the children of Israel are coming into the promised land. What this powerful story is. They come into the promised land and they, they, they're, they're experiencing incredible victory at Jericho and the walls come down and they march in and, and they, they, they kind of do all the things that God has commanded them to do as they take over the city. And then as they're experiencing this incredible victory, they say, okay, what do we do next? We go and fight this next battle. And we're going to do so at this little city. The name of the city has two letters, A-I, so I'm assuming you pronounce it A-I. And so they say, hey, we're going to go, but this is kind of a small city, and so we're not going to send all of our soldiers. We're not going to send all of them into battle. So Joshua says, we'll just send a few thousand men, and we'll go, and we'll win that battle just like we won this one. And they get to AI, and they lose bad, like real bad. And they lose the battle, and some of their men are killed. And Joshua's like, God, why would you bring us to the promised land to cause us to experience defeat like this? I don't understand. And God says, because there's sin in the camp. Because, see, God had given them specific instructions when they were to win the battle in Jericho not to take any of the plunder for themselves. But there was a guy by the name of Achan who just thought the rules didn't apply to him. So when he went in to Jericho, he just got a few things to say, I'm going to take these because I like them, and he hid them under his tent. And so Joshua brings all of Israel together, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to confront sin. We're going to find it. We're going to seek it out. And we're going to do so as we put all the tribes before me, and we'll eliminate those who are innocent. And he does so, and he keeps one tribe. And there's a guy in the back of the line. His name is Achan. And you think he's starting to sweat a little bit? And then after they take that tribe, they split them up into the clans of families. And he eliminates all the clans except the clan that includes the family of Achan. I'm assuming Achan's like, can I go to the bathroom? I'll be back in a few minutes. Takes all the families and spreads them out. He eliminates all the families except the family that includes Achan. He takes all of Achan's family and lines them up and eliminates everyone until he's standing before Achan. And he says, Achan says, you're right. Underneath my tent, if you go to my tent right now, underneath my tent, I took some things that weren't mine. And you say, well, that's not that big a deal. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? These are the descendants of former slaves. They've lived out in the wilderness. They've experienced their first great victory. Why does it matter that he just wants something for himself? Because his sin resulted in the death and defeat of some of his brothers and sisters. You are not an island unto yourself. What if your sin actually caused someone else to stumble? It brings a greater sense of gravity to the way that I live and conduct my life. It brings a greater sense of realization and a heaviness when I say, oh, you mean the decisions that I make and the way that I live and the way that I conduct myself in my life and the way that I speak to my wife and speak to my children and handle my business and the, the way that I live actually impacts other people? Not because I'm standing on a stage. I'm talking about in the way that all of us live our lives as we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. You say, maybe, perhaps, in the way that I live, it would cause someone else to stumble? Yes. All the way back in Genesis 4, this was the confrontation of the heart of humanity in the story of Cain and Abel, you read about these first siblings. I have a brother. We almost killed each other a couple times in our lives, so I resonate with this story. I'm raising some brothers, right? We get this. God says to Cain one day, he says, where is your brother Abel? He says, what? Am I my brother's keeper? Right there. God is able to confront that thing that some of us feel right now. And the answer is yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. You are your sister's keeper. 
You are not an island unto yourself. I am not an island unto myself. What I do matters to you, and what you do matters to me. And it does affect other people, and so we have to live our lives in ways that help others to see Jesus. The Apostle Paul doesn't just write about this in the book of Romans. He also writes about it in a letter that he writes to a group of people in the city of Corinth. It's the letter of 1 Corinthians. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. He's like, listen, I know in your freedom, you say, hey, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I've got freedom now. Okay. I have the right to do anything, you might say. But that doesn't mean that it's wise. It doesn't mean that it's beneficial. It doesn't mean that it's constructive. And so we don't just filter it through the question of what can I do. We filter it through the question of what should I do? How might this impact others? What might other people in my life group Think, not so that they can judge me, but does it help push them closer to God? Or does it cause them to doubt that I am closer to God or I'm in pursuit of God or what they're trying to do with their lives? It's not just what can I do, it's what should I do. It's not just what I do for my own good, but for the good of others. But why? Why is this important? Why does this matter? Drop back one chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at this in verse 19. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I became all things to all people that I might win some. I wish it would have said I became all things to all people that I might win all of them. That gives me greater hope and greater sense of purpose. But the reality is that I am not the one who saves. And neither are you. I can't respond to the gospel for someone else. I'm only accountable for what I do. And so I don't compromise my own salvation. I don't compromise the gospel. But anything short of that, I'm willing to become weak so that those who are weak would identify with Jesus Christ. To the Jews, I became a Jew. To those outside the law, I became like one outside of the law so that they might see his strength in me, he said. I became all things to all people, that I might win some. That's our heart here. At Canton Church, that's our heart. I know, here's what I know. I know you don't like everything we do, but not everything we do is for you. I know it. There's some songs we sing, you don't like those songs. Just hang around, we'll sing a song you like in a minute, or next week, or next month, or you can sing it in your car on the way home right? I know you don't like everything I preach. It's okay. I don't like everything I preach. It's okay. I know you don't understand sometimes why we do certain series or certain trips or certain events. I get it. But not everything we do is for you. 
We become all things to all people that we might win some. And so in two weeks, we start a new series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And maybe you, right now, you know, this is for my family. Our family's hanging on by a thread right now. There's an attack of the enemy against our marriages and our families, and we're going to spend five weeks talking about it and praying specifically for it. And you need to be here. And if your family is together, you need to be here as an example for those whose family is not right now. But maybe you say, well, that series is not for me. A few weeks later, we're going to do a different series. And then in October, we're going to do a series called At the Movies, and we're going to connect the gospel and some of Hollywood's best films, and you're going to go, I hate that series. We do that every year. I hate it. It's not for you. It's for the people that you know who don't know Jesus Christ. And they might come with you to church that Sunday because it's one of the favorite movies that they've seen this year. And we become all things to all people that we might win some. We just keep presenting the gospel. And here's what you need to know about our heart. Here's what you need to know about my heart, the heart of my wife, the heart of the leadership of this church. Here's what you need to know. We are willing to do anything short of sin to reach lost people. We're not going to compromise the gospel. We're not going to compromise ourselves. We're going to follow after the things that we hear the Lord saying and speaking to us as humbly as we possibly can. But we're willing to do anything short of sin to reach lost people. Because it's not about my comfort. It's not about my preference. If it means that you would come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and I'm eating at your house and you're a vegetarian, I'm just going to eat vegetables. I'll probably pick up a Whopper on the way home. I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm going to sit right in front of you and love zucchini and squash. Love it. Because it's not about me. It's about you. And so I've been confronted with this idea of like, God, what am I willing to compromise short of you, short of sin? What am I willing to compromise in my life so that more people can know you? What am I willing to give up so that more people can find you? Can I just speak really honestly and transparent to you this morning? And maybe you're just here because something changed in your schedule today. One of the things that I need about 65 of you to do is move out of the 10 o'clock service. I, I do. I'm, I, honestly, I'm not being mean. I know it's more comfortable for you. But I need you to move and be a missionary to 8.30 or 11.30. And I know you go, I'm not doing that. I'm going to let somebody else do that. Please don't do that. Please be the one that says, okay, we'll move. Because here's the reality. Every August, 20% more people come than have been coming in July, and there's not room for them in here. There's room at 8.30 and there's room at 11.30. They're not coming at 8.30 and 11.30. They're always going to come to 10. And every single week for the last six weeks, except for today, We've had room at 8.30, room at 11.30, and we had to bring out chairs at 10. I know it's not your preference. I know it's not your comfort. I know that. I told 8.30 some different stuff. I didn't tell them to move somewhere. I told them to stay at 8.30. But I told them to move up closer. They're all sitting in the back. I don't like that. Move up. Let the guests come in and take the back seats, and you come up and, and be in front. And so next week, we're going to rope off the back and force them to the front, right? Here's the deal. If you choose not to move, that's fine. That's fine. Then in a couple weeks, I'm going to make you move because I'm going to start a fourth service and none of them are going to start at 10 o'clock. I promise. I'm going to do it. So here's what I need you to do. Eat some vegetables. Just give up steak at 10 o'clock at 8.30, 11.30. Please. 
Because there are lost people that I know and that you know who are going to come in the next few weeks at 10 o'clock. We just mailed 10,000 of them a postcard inviting them to the family series. They're going to come at 10 o'clock. And when they get here, I don't want them looking around and going, there's no chairs at 10. We're not coming back. And then one day, I've got to stand before God. And God's got to look at me and say, why'd you give up, Jeremy? Why'd you stop? There were lost people within a couple miles of your church. And I tried to send them your way and you didn't make room for them. Why? Why, why did you? I don't understand. I don't ever want to have that conversation with God. And I know some of you, you've got to come at 10. You serve in a different service and we've scheduled you there. I know some of you for your work schedule, like you got it. I get it. But if there's no reason for you not for you that you have to be here at 10, go somewhere else. 8.30, 11.30, okay? Now I'm off that soapbox for a second. Here's what I need. I need us to make sure, check our hearts and say, God, am I willing to be a spiritual vegetarian for the sake of those who do not know you? God, would you make me uncomfortable? Would you help me get off my preference? Would you help me to live by principle? Would you help me to consider others and be sensitive to the needs of other people? Because they do not know you. And it could be that my one small act of obedience is what they need for them to trust in you. I became all things to all people that we might reach some. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I'm one of those people that's far from God. I'm not in a relationship with him. I need him to forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life, and I want that to happen today. I don't want another moment to pass by. I want to trust him like never before. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I want to be more aware of those around me. I want to be more sensitive. I want God to use me to illuminate him. I want people to see him when they see me. And so I want to be able to compromise myself, anything short of sin, to expose more people to the gospel. And I'm asking the Lord to help me to do that. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Now look at me real quick before we pray. If you just lifted your hand, tons of hands. As I pray for you, I want you to pray this prayer. God, help me to start this week. Let me be sensitive this week. It could be today at lunch. It could start in my home. It could be on my job tomorrow. Wherever it is, God, would you just kind of prick my heart at some point this week and go, this is the spot. This is the moment. I believe if you'll do that, God will use you in ways that will blow your mind. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you save people. You forgive people. You lead people. And God, thank you for doing that in us. God, I pray for every person that's trusting you now with their lives for salvation. God, I'm asking you, reorient their lives around you. Forgive their sins and lead their lives. We thank you for that. And God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to ask you to help them to be sensitive and to be aware and to give up some things if it's for the sake of other people. Let us realize we are not an island unto ourselves. What we do matters towards others and what they do matters for us. And so God, help us to be aware of that, be sensitive to that. Help us not to place obstacles or, or hurdles in the way of other people as they pursue you. And God, I pray that you would begin this week 
prick our hearts this week. Break our hearts. Help us to see people the way that you see them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.